Hi there, it's time for another edition of Making Money with Ron Hebert, the financial coach, retired portfolio manager. I'm Gord Whitehead, a retired broadcaster. We've known each other for several decades. We have a passion about investing. Obviously, Ron's is much more prominent than mine. But we like to uh, try to pass along some information that maybe gives investors a little bit of a leg up. And Ron, right now, as we've been talking over the past several weeks in the midst of the pandemic, there's a lot of uncertainty. A lot of things have changed. So you have listed here some strategies to implement right now. Yeah, let's start with interest rates, because interest rates look like they're going to stay low for the near term. And to invest in fixed income right now, you're just not getting a lot. And of course, the temptation is to lock in for the longer term. But if you look at where interest rates are sitting and how long it could take them to go up, you know, the governments are definitely printing money, and it will have its effect on inflation, which will push rates higher. But that could take a while to happen. So you want to make sure that you're shopping around and you're laddering between about six months, I think, and two years. On the fixed income side of things, you can look at corporate bonds, certainly. But right now, the best rates are in GICs. Hmm. And so you can get um, a range of, of six-month to two-year GICs. I went online and did a little bit of shopping around, and I saw rates between 0.6% and 1.9%. So don't lock in for the longer term, which means that you lose your flexibility when rates do go up to have the money around so that you can lock in for the longer term and take advantage of those rates. Just in reference to what you said about about inflation being somewhere lurking out there in the shadows. And I think we talked about this in a previous episode. Your feeling is that right now, if, if they were to raise rates right now, that would just shut everything down. Like, I don't think anybody could handle a big rate increase right now. Is that what your thinking is? Well, my thinking is really twofold. Number one, governments have no incentive to raise interest rates because if they do, it will shut down the economy, just as you, as you said, Gord. Uh, secondly, they can't afford to raise rates because governments have been piling on the debt, and if rates go up, it means their interest costs are going to go higher. And, and thirdly, if we eventually do see inflation with all the money printing that's going on, and once this money gets into the economy and does start causing inflation, would, no matter what the governments do, rates are going to go up anyway. So short term, it's not in the government's interest to raise, raise rates. In the long term, if we see inflation, rates are going to go up all by themselves, whether governments want them to or not. So there, there's a number of, of cross currents here right now. And I think one of the other ones that we should really be keeping an eye on is number two on your list, and that's the U.S. election, which is just around the corner. You've been watching the polls, Gord. Uh, it, it seems to me that the, it there's a reasonable possibility that the Democrats could sweep the presidency, the House and the Senate in November, don't you think? Well, it seems that way, but, <laughs> you know, when you look back on the last election, nobody thought Donald Trump would get elected, and look what happened. So I, I don't know how to call it anymore. I, it's like kind of like rolling dice. And because of that, <clears throat> it's hard to predict. I suggest not doing a lot of investing in the U.S., at least the election, and the elections are, is going to be on November 3rd. Because if the Democrats win, there's going to be some big losers and some big winners. The big winners will be things like environment, 
and climate change, managed health care facilities like hospitals, the cannabis industry, which the Democrats want to legalize nationally down there, discount real, real uh, retailers because they'll, they'll end up putting more money in the hands of low-income people, and that's typically where they shop. Also, Joe Biden has very big infrastructure plans. So there's a lot of things that could do very, very well with a Democratic win. What's the other side of that? What, where are the losses likely to come? I would think energy sector would be one right near the oh, top. totally. Pipelines, fossil fuels. And, of course, um, Elizabeth Warren and a lot of Democrats don't like big Wall Street financials. Uh, they've been talking about breaking up the big tech stocks and spending less on defense. So there's areas where if the Democrats do get in, you're going to end up wanting to fine-tune your portfolio. Okay, let's move on to number three, and that's remembering the taxes. And I think I know what this pertains to. You wouldn't be talking about CERB here, would you? Absolutely talking about CERB. And CERB has really proved to be a financial lifeline to those who've lost their jobs during the COVID-19 crisis. But, however, unlike a salary from your employer where you get the taxes deducted right off the top before it shows up in your bank account, the federal government's decided to give Canadians a 100% payout during the time when they considered them to need it the most. So there's been no tax taken off this. And, of course, Big Brother has been very benign and friendly. But six months from now, when it's tax time, the tax collectors are going to come around looking for their money. So if you've been getting any CERB payments, sit down, figure out what your approximate tax liability is, and then tuck that money away. Otherwise, you could be in for a big surprise come April. Well, and if you work at the 30% tax rate, which I always used for a number of years, thinking that's kind of sort of in the middle of where people are if they're sort of average income earners. So if you're getting $2,000 a month, there's 600 bucks that the government's going to want back. And this has been going on now for, what, five months, I think, maybe six? So you're talking 3000 to $3,500 that's going to be due to the tax man. Come April 21st, when you walk out of your tax preparer's office and you find you've got this much owing, you've spent every cent you have, you could be really, really scrambling. And of course, if you're not able to uh, pay your taxes by April 30th, uh, this year in the year 2000, the government's basically put off uh, tax payments and deferred them. But next year, they might not do that. And of course, if you don't pay on time, the penalties are considerable. Yeah, they're, they're punishing, no two ways about it. Number four on your list is to take some of the profits from your stocks that have been doing well. You know, there's a saying on Wall Street that no tree grows to heaven, meaning that nothing goes up forever. And if you take a look at how well stocks have performed, especially some of the big names, a good example would be Amazon, Apple, or Microsoft. They now have a combined valuation of just those three stocks of $5 trillion. Now, to put that in perspective, these three stocks together, if you compare them to the German economy, all the goods and services Germany produces in one year, these five stocks have a value of $5 trillion. It's bigger than Germany's economy, and it's almost as big as Japan's three companies. So 
These three companies make up a third of the value of the NASDAQ stock index, which consists of 3,000 different companies. So the total value of all of those 3,000 companies together, a third is made up by Amazon, Apple, and Microsoft alone. So when if you have or have participated in any of it, especially the tech stocks, take some profits here. It doesn't mean you have to sell the whole thing, but take some off the table because no tree grows to heaven. Okay, number five on your list of strategies to implement right now is to set up an emergency fund. You know, the COVID-19 pandemic has really exposed how quickly an economy can grind to a halt, throwing hundreds of millions of people globally out of work virtually overnight. And this time around, we've been lucky because governments have uh, borrowed trillions of dollars and bailed out renters, bailed out employers, bailed out employees, bailed out airlines. They've essentially gone across the economy stuffing money in people's hands. Now, the next time we have a crisis, governments are going to be unlikely to have the financial resources to do a repeat of this. They're already talking about shutting down some of these programs and pushing people back to work because the resources are just not going to be available to do it again. So if you didn't learn in the past, set up a financial emergency fund, just money that you've got socked away because markets are assuming that we're not going to have a second or third wave of the COVID crisis. And so if this pandemic comes back strong this fall and even again next spring and next summer, you're going to need some resources. So even with some of that CERB money, if you can afford it, tuck a little bit of that away because, you know, there's a good chance that this is not over yet. Well, that seems to be what a lot of people are thinking, and, and I guess it's, it's uncertainty, but uncertainty often fuels fear, right? So a little extra money stashed away wouldn't be a bad idea. The market's had a pretty strong run here, Ron. We've talked about that. There's been a rally that hasn't had a lot of backbone to it from an institutional standpoint, but still the markets have risen. So what should we be doing in that regard? Look at your portfolio. If you've got losers that you've hung on to cycle after cycle after economic cycle, hoping that they'll come back and they haven't done so, if you've had some big winners, because markets are flirting with all-time highs, and some of them have even got into new highs. And you've taken some profits on some of your winners. Well, now might not be a bad time to take some losses for tax purposes, some, some capital losses, which you can write off against your capital gains. Also, it'll clean out from your portfolio some of the stuff that's been perpetually laying in the gutter for years. Okay, and number seven on your list has got some meat on the bone. We can talk about this a little bit, and that has to do with predictions. So many people assume that if an economist comes on TV or an analyst comes on TV with a macro view, especially of whether we're going into recession or whether the economy is going to get better, that these guys actually know what they're talking about. And, of course, John Kenneth Galbraith, who's a famous Canadian economist, he pretty much summed it up by saying, in economics, the majority is always wrong. And if you take a look at the recessions, I think there was 88 global recessions among different countries between 2008 and 2012. Economists picked just 11 of them. 
And there's a, a writer for the International Monetary Fund that I like. His name is Prakash Lugani. And he put it uh, the most succinctly that I've ever heard it said. It said, the record of failure to predict recessions is virtually unblemished by economists. So it's very difficult. I'm not trying to pick on these guys because economic forecasts are very, very difficult to make. And we have not refined our ability to be able to be predict them at all, even at an accuracy level of 50%. So don't listen to these guys about where the economy is going, because if you're using this to base your investment decisions on, it's like the blind leading the blind. I just can't help but think, Ron, and, and I've followed a lot of these guys over the years. You read essays that they write, and you think to yourself, how can you make this call for instance, about the Canadian economy, when there are so many moving parts involved, different regions of the country, different resource sectors, different manufacturing sectors, and they sit there and they say, well, yeah, we're going to see 2.4% growth. I, I think it's almost like they have a dartboard and the number's on the wall, and that's the one they use. Well, even if you have a very sophisticated computer model, if the numbers that you put into that model aren't accurate, it's going to spit out a wrong number, and that's why I've always been a real critic when somebody comes out and says, we've got the most sophisticated computer model, we've got uh, MIT PhDs that have programmed this thing, and we've put in thousands of different variables, and we're very confident in our result. Well, I still haven't seen one that is very accurate. So here again treat these things with a little bit of skepticism. You can put all the variables in you want, but if there's one variable you didn't recognize and that's the one that causes a problem, then you've got junk in, junk out, as the old saying goes, right? That that puts it in a nutshell. Okay, so if you uh, want to take some advice, listen carefully to those seven points that Ron has just made in these rather uncertain times. They can really benefit you in positive ways. We're going to come back next week. We're going to talk a little bit about the waiting game. Ron, do you want to give us a bit of a preview? The waiting game is simply a baseball analogy is you don't have to swing for every pitch. If it's uh, low and inside or high and outside, you know, let it be called uh, a ball, not a strike. Wait for the fat pitch and then swing, totally commit yourself to the fat pitch. I use two analogies about a crocodile in the Serengeti uh, that eats maybe twice a year and a hummingbird, which has to go to hundreds, maybe even thousands of flowers a day. And so Warren Buffett has always taken the approach that you want to look at the crocodile approach to investing, where you eat seldom, but you eat big and you go in big. And there's many, many advantages to that. And we've got a two-part show just talking about the advantage of waiting and some of the strategies you can use if you're looking, waiting for those opportunities where you get the really, really big returns. So here we are using an eating analogy. We've whet your appetite with that little teaser. We're back next week with that one, The Waiting Game, part number one. Remember, if you have a question or a suggestion for us on making money, just drop us a note to our inbox at, at uh, letsmakemoney.ca, or you can reach us through the cfcw.com website as well. And don't forget to listen for Ron's Money Minute Daily Remarks twice daily on CFCW. On behalf of the financial coach Ron Hebert, I'm Gord Whitehead. We'll talk to you next week. The information presented is derived from sources believed to be reliable. 
This material is presented for information purposes only and does not constitute investment advice. Before acting on any investment information, a person should seek advice from an investment professional. The presenters may or may not hold positions in the securities discussed on this show and will not be responsible for any losses sustained from acting on this information.